0: Lord God, it's good to gather together as your people, and I just pray your blessing over this morning, Lord, for every, every heart, every life that's here this morning listening. Lord, I pray that they would hear what your scripture and your word has to say to the church. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that at the foot of the cross, we are set free, we are forgiven, and we are united with you and with each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. Favorite time of my week, right here. Well, this week we're going to continue where we left off last week. It's a good spot to start. So we're in just a few short verses in Matthew. Last week, Matthew records when Jesus started in on the law of Moses and he starts to share the intent of these laws. He talks about how he's come to fulfill them, that the intent of the law is to love God and to love others. And last week we looked at the, one of the Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not murder. And he expands on that saying, it's more than that. The intent is that we reconcile with our brother and our sister. We live in harmony with one another. And the same theme continues into this week. This week is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Pretty heavy topic for a Sunday morning. Something not often talked about in church. And Jesus takes it from there and gives us the intent of that law. Which I'll propose to you today. The intent of that law is that families would be functioning together in faithfulness and love. Right? Just like last week, we talked about kids in the backseat of a van, and it's not just enough for the parents to say, don't kill each other. As long as you do that, we're okay. No. As my mom would say, be nice, right? <laughs> Get along. <laughs> and the same thing goes here. If you show up this morning and you say, well, I, I haven't committed adultery, so my family's in good shape. Well, the Word and Scripture has to say, no, it's more than that we need to do a deeper look into the heart. And so as we think about marriage, this has been on my heart for a while, thinking of our church, any church at that matter, in terms of the stability and strength of a church, I think about marriages being pretty important, right? I mean, we could be doing a lot of things right around here. But if at the home front, each marriage is falling apart, what strength or stability is there? There's a reason it requires our focus. It's a reason it's, we call it home base. (laughs) Because that's the starting point. And for those that are single today, God has placed you in that position with unique opportunities that come from being single. But for those that are married today, God has placed you in that unique position. And that needs to be priority. It needs to come first. So, this church can go find another person to come preach. They can. But Hosanna and Elaine don't get another husband or dad. That's why that comes first. There's no sub, right? There, there's, no, there's no Sunday off. <laughs> there's no replacement to come in to be Hosanna's dad. In your families, you're the only one that can be in the role that you're in. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments, the heart of this is that families and God's beautiful plan who created the idea of man and woman coming together and having children, this beautiful, beautiful plan of being a household together, which was God's idea, is, is important. We need to be faithful there. And so I'm going to show you a, a picture. I want you to think about what emotion this brings up. It's a fireplace. You can imagine sitting in a really comfortable chair, having coffee, right? Chatting with your family. And I'll show you another picture. This is, uh, there's fire in both of these photos, right? This one's kind of gotten out of the fireplace, right? It's not warming the house. Well, it is warming the house. (laughs) It is warming it above what it should be. We're even going to look at a word later in the Greek here. The word for lust is an over-desire. It's too hot. (laughs) And that's what happens. And so we'll show you these side by side. And so when you go home tonight... Well, what's it going to feel like as you chat with your spouse over dinner or as you get ready for bed? (laughs) What's it going to feel like? I know I'm young, but I'm not naive to think that there aren't folks in this room that are feeling the heat. And my heart breaks for that. God's heart breaks for that. And as a church, we care about each other in this, right? And yet often we don't know how to get help. Often we don't know how to help others. There's a phrase my mom would use as I was growing up. She would say, well, love in a marriage is kind of like fire in a fireplace, When it's where it's supposed to be, it'll warm the house. When it's not, it'll burn the thing down. And little did I know, I found out this last week, my mom didn't make that up. It seemed like a motherly thing to say. You know, she's very good at analogies. But uh, it comes from uh, this guy named Ray. Ray, and it comes from this book, and you see the quote up there sharing that concept. This is important. Hebrews 13, chapter 4 says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another. I think that's getting to the heart of some of these rules of don't commit adultery and do not covet. And some people view this as just, that's kind of too traditional, (laughs) you know? I could see a Baptist church believing that, but come on, it's the 21st century. Do we really believe that? That's kind of, you're limiting my freedom here, right? Right? I should let the fire go wherever it wants. That's not freedom. You know, surprisingly, looking at the statistics over the last few years, the amount of uh, uh, our youth engaging and things they shouldn't with each other, has actually gone down. I think people are realizing that, boy, this is burning houses to the ground. Maybe we should be a little more careful with this. And I think that's often what happens when culture disregards what Scripture says. Often there's a testimony there, and you know what? That doesn't work. God's ways are proved to be true. So we'll go to our passage here in Matthew 5. and this was something that was tough for Israel. You know, they're on Mount Sinai. We've been there for the new year. They got out of Egypt. they're in Mount Sinai, learning how to live together as God's people. But as the story unfolds, we see that Israel, they're rarely defeated in battle, but they're often seduced. In Numbers chapter 31, there's a guy named Balaam. He's working for the Midianites, and he's trying to think, how do we take down the people of God? How do we do this? And he tries to use sorcery, to do a curse, and he can't do it because it's against what God is decreeing. God says, no, they will be blessed. And the Midianites fight Israel in battle, and they lose. They can't do it. And in Numbers 31, 16, it says that they followed Balaam's advice and they seduced the men of Israel. Became a snare in their side. great men have fallen Samson David Solomon rarely were any of these three defeated in battle and yet all three of them at times fell but as we'll look at later one of them got back up amen amen so, let's start our passage here. Starting in verse 27, Jesus, this is now the second of six, where he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he says, you've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I wonder if when he said that, the room got real quiet, <laughs> I know um, there's a strategy out there in terms of sharing the gospel before people know that they need Jesus, they need to realize why they need Jesus. And so, there's certain folks that will go through some of the Ten Commandments to share, have you, do you need Jesus or not, right? A lot of people say, I don't need Jesus. And it's funny that I've seen some of these interviews, whenever they, they ask this question, they say, well... You know, even if you look at a woman with lust, it's not according to what God wants. And usually people start to laugh at it. Does it really say that? <laughs> They're like, well, of course, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty, <laughs> you know? Um, this word lust, it's an overdesire. It's, it's not in the right place. Desire is not wrong, right? I mean, we need homes that are warm in the winter, Okay? A lot of Christians think that the Christian life means put out the fires, right? And then they wonder why their spirituality is so cold, right? They wonder why it's dead. There is room for desire in the Christian life. And if we believe that God and His ways are beautiful, satisfying, then we'll sit by the fireplace and enjoy what God has for us. We'll enjoy His beauty, infinitely more beautiful than anything else in this life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It satisfies the soul. And yet, in the absence of that, we look for warmth in the wrong places. I think of this scripture, he talks about adultery, and yet he almost, word for word, ends up bringing up the 10th commandment, which is, thou shalt not covet. And as it says in Exodus 20, it says, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, or thy neighbor's wife, or thy neighbor's servant, or thy neighbor's donkey. (laughs) But that 10th commandment, that's a matter of the heart. It's hard to be able to accuse someone, hey, you're, you're coveting. That's where each of us needs to be alone with God and ask, how's the condition of my heart? You can go in both extremes. You can, you can put out all desire. That's not going to go well. You can be over-desiring and lust. That's not right. But as the series explains, we are to have commitments of love in the right places. And this is one of them. It's to our families. Second Peter 2.14 picks up on this theme, and it says that people commit adultery with their eyes, and yet their desire for sin is never satisfied. Just like a fire is never satisfied once it gets a hold of the house. It needs to say where it belongs. Verse 29. Jesus says this, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now I'll start out by saying, the point he's making here is not that if you pluck out your eye and cut, and next we'll see cut off your hand. He's not saying if you do that, you'll go to heaven. Alright? You won't. So the idea here is not do that and you're good, right? There's a concept of this is serious stuff. And if something's causing you to sin, it's better just get rid of it. <laughs> Throw it away. You know, if you've been by a fire, a real fireplace, not the gas, they, that wood will, I don't know if the right terms are, but it'll crackle and pop, right? And sometimes those embers shoot right out. And it's saying, if those embers start popping out of the fireplace, throw them away. (laughs) Deal with it, right, while it's small. Scoop it up and throw it right back in there. Another thing I'll mention here is that as you think about how we should be using our eyes, and in the next verse, how we should be using our hands, The idea is not just, we weren't created just to be a cold fireplace and don't do anything. We're created to love God and love others in the way he intends. And so the point here also is to be doing those things in love towards others. What are we supposed to be doing? Sin is the absence of doing what God has called you to do. We'll go to the next verse here. It says, if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better, it would be better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. James 4, 7 talks about if we don't do the good we ought to do, to him it is sin. And so, what should we be doing? We should be loving our families. that's what God originally intended the verses after this talk about divorce and that theme of divorce is picked up again in chapter 19 of Matthew and as Jesus discusses divorce and says they were just willy-nilly handing out certificates of divorce and Jesus is saying that's not right He's saying, what was the original intention of God in Matthew 19:3, He says, 19, 8, excuse me. His intention was that man and woman would come together and not be separate. And let what God has joined together, let no man separate. What's the original intention? The, real, the original intention is that in that marriage, they would image to people covenant love. The same covenant love that Christ has given to the church. It's a beautiful and a mysterious thing how God uses marriages. I think of my ancestral line if I go up to my great-great-grandparents coming over from Germany. There was a marriage there, wasn't there? They raised up some children. And their marriage, how they behaved taught their children how to do that all of a sudden you skip down four or five generations you've got hundreds of people god has that kind of perspective when he looks at our lives he looks at the investments we make with compounding interest Go to the next one here. John eight is a beautiful image of Jesus engaging this topic. He's at the temple in Jerusalem. So, in other words, imagine he's at the church, and these pastors come in and they bring a woman caught in adultery. And they say, hey, Jesus, they say, back when we were a nation, we were supposed to stone. This was a death penalty thing. Murder and adultery was a death penalty thing. And even that did stop people in the Old Testament from doing it. It says, what do you say? And Jesus models this to us. We'll go to the first one. It says in 4 through 5, Teacher, they said, this woman was kind of adultery. The law of Moses said, a stoner, what do you say? kind of that theme of you've heard it said and then jesus says but i say to you and he goes on here in verse seven they kept demanding an answer so he stood up again and he said he said all right here's Jesus' response for someone who's guilty of not loving their family which if you think about it who isn't guilty of not loving their family the way they should. And he says, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let me tell you, in churches, there's a lot of people that have been struck in the face with stones. The first chapter of John, it says Jesus was filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. And sometimes people get hit with truth so hard, they miss out on the grace of God. There's such a thing as creating a space that's safe for people to receive both grace and and truth James chapter 2 it talks about that. 2.10 it says that for someone who breaks part of the law they're guilty of breaking all of it 2.11 it says if you commit murder but don't commit adultery you're still guilty or if you commit adultery but you don't commit murder you're still guilty of breaking all of it and James 2.13 says that for those who have no mercy for others, no mercy will be received. But for those who have mercy on others, they themselves will receive mercy. And so, before and after this verse, in verses 6 and 8, Jesus says, write some things in the sand. We don't know what they are. Because we don't know what they are, I'm not going to tell you what they are. We can speculate. My favorite guess is that he wrote down some of the Ten Commandments. Not just adultery. But thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. Whatever it was, it had an impact on those ready to grab stones. Because as we look here in verse 9... It doesn't call these guys pastors. It calls them accusers. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. I'd love to know how long that awkward silence was. We don't know if it was... 30 seconds or 30 minutes but one by one they slipped away which if I knew Jesus God himself ready to offer mercy was standing in front of me I would have fell at his feet of slipping away and hiding, saying, well, I'm a religious leader, I'm just going to slip away, and I guess I won't deal with those situations anymore, because those are kind of awkward, they make me look at myself, they should have just fallen at his feet and received mercy, said, God, I'm a house burnt to the ground, have mercy on me. Our Jesus, filled with grace and truth, will rebuild that house in his name. You go back just a little bit. I didn't quite finish, sorry. It says, the very end, it says, at the end, it was only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus and the woman this woman must have been terrified if you can imagine and now in verse 10 Jesus stood up again and said to the woman where are your accusers did not even one of them condemn you no Lord she said now remember there's still one person there he's not an accuser but there's one that did not slip away, one who has never sinned. She still does not know what to expect. She's facing God face to face. And she's heard, whoever's not sinned will throw the first stone. A lot of people out there are uncomfortable with a heavenly God because they're expecting a rock. They're expecting the hammer to drop. But there is grace with truth, beautifully mixed together into Jesus. And he does both in this last sentence by saying, well, then neither do I. That's filled with grace. And then he says, now go and sin no more. That's mixed with truth. That's how Jesus handled sexual sin in the temple. With grace and with truth. Remember that guy I mentioned that fell down that got back up? Between Samson, David and Solomon well David was a man who fell down who got back up he broke a lot of the commandments of loving others he committed adultery with Bathsheba he murdered a man to cover it up finally got exposed and he still pays a heavy price after that His kingdom is taken away from him, and one of his sons kills the rest of his children and becomes king and pursues to kill David. Talk about a house burnt to the ground. And yet, David was called a man after God's own heart. And I admire him. I like movies when Rocky Balboa gets knocked down, but he gets back up. That's more inspiring to me than Superman, who gets punched. Doesn't phase him, right? I relate a lot more to the guy who gets knocked down, and that's what we need to learn in life. Those are the heroes we need to find. Is look, I don't need to know how to be Superman. I need to know how to get back up. And in Psalm 51, Jesus or um, David writes a song about getting back up. If you look at it in your Bibles, it says at the beginning of that chapter, it says, David wrote this when he had committed, after he had committed adultery and when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And he gets back up. There's some beautiful verses in there. I encourage you to read that throughout the week here. Let it wash over your heart because it's grace and it's truth. Verse 1 He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy. He didn't slip away like these religious leaders, but he fell down at the feet of Jesus like the woman and said, have mercy on me. Verse 2, he says, wash away my sin. He has faith that there's forgiveness for him. We skip down to verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, Oh God, renew, renew my spirit within me. Verse 12 says, Restore. In other words, rebuild me and the joy of my salvation. Grant me a willing and a faithful spirit to sustain me. Towards the end of verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. The New Living Translation says, You will not forsake the broken and the contrite spirit. David knew this God who was grace and truth. The woman that fell at his feet about to be stoned came to learn and know this God who is grace and truth and I want each person here man woman and child to know this God who is grace and truth that we might not live under condemnation but that we might live under grace and we might live the truth out A better way to live. A way that as the people of God, we take it seriously as a commitment of love to love our families. And we're not going to do that perfectly. It's going to require some rebuilding at times. Require some courage at times. But I see a family or a church willing to do that just like that last slide in the picture that fresh construction right when we let God build the house those who labor do not do it in vain amen amen so let's be that church that loves our families well and Let's be that church that helps each other do it. This Tuesday, we have a speaker coming from Cornerstone Church out of Ames who leads the Celebrate Recovery program down there. He's going to share his testimony this Tuesday. 6.30, I think there's even pizza. If you come early. (laughs) But come, come. I'm going to be there. Come. Listen. Listen to what house rebuilding looks like because... We all need the Lord's hand at that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to not be the folks that slip away from a message like this with our heads down. Let us be those that at the foot of the cross find mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us and help us Rise again as David does. Each and every morning, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning because we need them every morning. And so let us rise in your mercy every morning. Lord, I pray for your love through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Spark the love in our hearts that needs to be there. to warm our households, and to warm the household of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.